All right. We are back. And um, I've got, well, I told you I'm going to have Mac Lawrence, and he's here. Hey, Mac. We're here. All right. Um, I did, uh, well, I've, I've got some things I want to ask you, but let's uh, let's tell people who you are. Okay. So uh, I'm about to be part owner of Progressive Consulting Firm. We primarily do field operations for political campaigns. We might be snagging a petition gig, so we'll be gathering signatures for some things that are going to be on the 2020 ballot here in San Diego, either county or city, not sure yet, but yeah. Nice. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's all I got. All right. Well, uh, Mac and I have had, uh, have had political conversations before at the coffee shop. Of course. And uh, so I know where this guy's coming from for a little bit, but not entirely. So we're gonna we're gonna explore a little bit of that uh, right now, and certainly we're gonna be talking about. I mean, the the election is what sixteen months away now. Uh, something sixteen months, twenty one candidates, right. like, <laughs> debates in about three weeks. But we're there. We're doing. We're, we're in the middle we of are it here. Yeah, it is gonna be a bloodbath sooner than later. I well, which is. Which is fine. I mean, the 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 Which Democrat, is what it's, it's needed. The Democratic yeah. Party needs to have this vetting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Needs to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. The question is, how many? Yeah, I mean, in a field this deep, how many lanes are there actually going to be for people? You know, because you're going to have Bernie on this really one straight and narrow path towards his presidency. Right. You're going to have. Elizabeth Warren, who's on a very similar road, but maybe just one lane over. Right. You have Biden, who who knows what that's going to be. He's well, all name ID, so he, he seems corporate as hell to uh, me. Of course, he's banked up. He's well, mobbed up. Probably when you, come out of the, <laughs> when you come out of the Obama administration, you're going to be banked up. Well, sure. You know, but it's interesting because we have so many candidates. That we just don't know anything about yet. And the first debate, which I don't think enough people are talking about, we're like three, four weeks out from this first debate. And oh, yeah. I, d- a, I didn't know it was coming up that uh, quickly. We got either. one in June. We got one in July. And then we have one September, October, November, and December. And that's the first set. And then we'll have the following four or six post-Iowa, I believe. So it's going to be interesting because especially the first election I believe you either needed to reach or for the first debate you had to reach either a fundraising threshold right of 65,000 donations from at least one in every state or like a flat amount of money that you raised uh-huh. which so there's already I believe what nine or 10 candidates that, that are going to be that on threshold. that stage. Yeah. yeah, and we still got four more weeks right. where a lot of people are getting more and more ID. So that's going to be very telling of what it what the road has to come. You know what I mean? Like a, a lot of these people are very similar on very like very specific issues. A lot of these people have very similar voting records and who is going to be able to like climb their way to the top? If you say you know, you have no idea. You have no idea. So I'm not seeing um, that uh, that anybody's got the voting record that Bernie Sanders does. No, not I mean, not at all. And the people that there's two situations outside of Bernie Sanders. There's the people that have a bad voting record, and then there's the people like you know I'm going to butcher his name, Buttigieg. Uh, yeah, who doesn't have a voting record? Right. You know, 
And the interesting thing about this election cycle is that we see an immense amount of people that really don't fall in line with like the traditional uh, background that you would need to like run for presidency. Like traditionally everybody that's going to run for president has spent at least two, like half a term in the Senate at minimum uh-huh. and, or has been a governor and has like people that have specifically won statewide office. And right. that's just out the window this election cycle. I mean, Buttigieg, what, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Indiana, Beto's in the race, who's barely been a house rep. Like, I mean, I think he has like three terms as a house rep. Um, and then every, I mean, and now there's just an immense amount of new people coming up. There's a tech guy, I can't remember his name, who's who's just popped up in, who also is going to be on the debate stage one of the 10 people that's going to be on the debate stage. I don't even know who this is. He's he's pushing for like a universal basic income. He's pushing for a lot of like changes to like he's one of those candidates. He's a candidate that's like specifically running this lane about moderating and working with tech platforms because sure. he comes from tech money. He's like a Silicon Valley guy and like trying to be like the cutting edge candidate about like how we're going to moderate Silicon Valley, which is an important question. Sure. You know, but it's. There's no way this is going to end well if you look at it. Like, Well, that sounds ominous. Well, it's going to – you're going to have a candidate that comes out of this battle so bruised and so beaten up, and that's a worrisome thing. Well, did you see – did you see uh, Bernie yeah. on uh, on Fox? Oh, his town hall? Yeah. Smashed it. He yeah. Sma- yeah. He smashed ra- – he smashed – but – I mean, that was also a pre-vetted group of people in that room that were like progressive Democrats. As I got well. that. The, so, the the moderator, the hosts weren't though. No, they were, and they did everything they tried. They did. They, <laughs> they did, did. They tried hard. <laughs> they tried really hard. But he did. He did do great. He did and it great. and definitely. And that was the highest viewership out of any of the town halls. Really? By I, a lot. Well, and okay, so let's talk numbers. Biden, what? what are, he's. Look at his numbers. What do you believe those numbers are? Well, okay. So his raw numbers from if you look at like, you know, uh not many of you know this like uh might know this like 538 polling who is one of the this is one of the only polling places that pulled Trump in 16. Uh-huh. Um they're fantastic. They're a huge database of well-established, accurate, truthful truthful uh polling. Um what so are they I mean, called? 538 polling, oh, okay. 538 polling, Google it, it's great stuff. They've consistently had Biden at hovering around, you know, 23 to 28%. Uh-huh. Bernie's coming in at second, fluttering between 18 and 23. Um, and I think that that is just a combination of name ID and a combination of him not really putting together any platform points yet. He doesn't have any policy out that he wants to talk about. Ber- he's Bernie. No, Biden. Biden, yes. Biden. Biden has no policy out. Yeah. So, and I mean, and he's in a field with somebody like Elizabeth Warren who drops what seems to be a major piece of legislation that she's going to back every two hours. Like, right. she's just <laughs> like spitting this. I mean, I, I think she's like pooping this stuff out. Like, it's crazy. Like, Every five seconds, she has a new piece of policy out, and that's going to be a massive thing in this race because 
I mean, post-Trump, we live in one of the most, like, you know, society is so hungry for politics right now. And people are watching every policy that comes out in a way that never happened before. So It seems to be a function of our polarization, though, too. uh, Correct. I know. But my point is that in in an election cycle where more people are actually worried about policy than ever before, you can't run the standard presidential Democrat race where you just kind of all loosely have the same pieces of policy. Like, there was no real tangible difference between a lot of the policy that Obama and Hillary were running on in 2008. You know, there was very little personality. And, exactly. And that's what these races always were. And that's what we're not going to see this time. Like, we're going to see a big portion of personality, but you got to be bringing something to the table other than your old, gross face. Like... That's not going to fly anymore, and you have to start pumping out policy or else when those debate stages come in three or four weeks, you're going to get destroyed. Well, I take a great deal of heart in that because I, I, I've, I've long been troubled by the fact that people don't – they vote for the face, they mm-hmm. vote for the personality, well, and they don't really seem to care about the ago, policy. Ten years we would have been called policy nerds, and now it's like, well, what are you going to do to close the racial wealth gap? It's like, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> Who, when did we start – when did America start caring about this? Oh, Trump's president, so I guess we care now. It's like, great, which is a great Maybe thing. that's a, a, one of the golden uh, linings, I the silver linings the of, of Trump's say, presidency. Trump – it may have been what we call a necessary evil. Like, he's not the president we need. He's done everything wrong. He's a horrible, he's a fascist, he's a Nazi, he's a white supremacist. His grandfather was a leader in the KKK. Like, horrible, horrible, horrible human being. But guess what? People care now. Right. Which, like, in the midterm elections, we had almost a 70% turnout. Amazing. A seventy in a midterm election, almost a seventy percent turnout. An indication uh, that people care. Exactly. My worry is that we, ha- if a centrist like Biden or another Hillary Clinton style candidate comes out of this on top, we're going to lose that. So I'm wondering, um, the fat cats have been in control for ever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what dirty tricks are they going to pull this time to get their guy in? And I, I'd say it's Biden. It's Biden. It's a hundred. I mean, we already see it with the. Did you see the CNN poll? Yes, I did. Uh, I did. I, which, which seemed really. That's why I asked that question. It seemed really. I knew skewed you were going to. I me. knew you were going to go there. So, it seemed really yeah, skewed. CNN to me. poll. Everybody that put Biden at what thirty or thirty-two percent. Yeah. Okay. Now this poll didn't poll anybody under fifty. And that was the first big fact that came out. And then the day and then the next day we found out that they also didn't poll anybody that makes less than fifty thousand dollars a year. So, so in a what shot, kind of poll is that? That's 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 a pump up Biden it, poll. It makes me want to curse right now. <laughs> yeah, we're on we're, we're on the radio. We're on the radio. <laughs> and I can't do it. No, I mean that's I mean it's it's what's to be expected out of the establishment. They don't want change. Rachel Maddow doesn't want you to know the facts. They don't want, you know what I mean? Like CNN and like, and don't get me wrong. These people are not Fox. Okay. They're not at the level of Fox. Fox is literally a propaganda machine. There's no question. But if, 
you watch CNN every day, please do some fact-checking. Please look into these details a little bit more because they are big money also. They have interest. They have a profit margin that they need to maintain, and they're going to do what they need to do to make sure that that profit's retained. And sometimes that means shoving garbage poles down your throat that show their guy on top, and that's crazy to me. Yeah. You know? Well, all right. So news organizations mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the New York Times, it's a big outfit. I mean, it's rich people own it. Yeah. However, they do have a reputation to uphold for telling a story and telling it well and telling it truthfully. Right. They've got some some capital mm-hmm. in that. And I was a journalist a student here and I they they certainly you know teach that line mm-hmm. that you know telling this a story completely and truthfully is what you're about as a journalist right so I, i'm seeing though what well that's because that's because anchors aren't journalists that's correct you know what i mean like if you are the host of a cnn show of a fox show uh, you know you're not the person in the field you don't go and get hands-on reports about this stuff. You don't go do the investigation. And I think that that's a big thing. I think that there's a level of integrity that's been left in these former newspapers now, like newspaper, internet, like hybrid things that we got going on. I think there's a level of integrity that's been left over there because, I mean, that is an institution that has been around. Those are like institutions that have been around long before the television existed. You know what Correct. I mean? And they have a way of operating that has not changed in terms of the reporting over the years. They're still doing the same type of, like they're still following the same steps of how they put together a story now than they did 50, 60 years ago. And I think having that mold of like what you're supposed to do when you're doing reporting helps them actually get to like, hard pressing facts versus being an anchor of a show where you have a whole team that's just kind of digging up basically whatever's been reported by those people and putting it on a show for a 30 second bit. You know what I mean? Like it's a way different setup. Like if you know, you don't, where are, where's Rachel Maddow shows getting her facts from places like the New York post from places like, you know what I mean? Like, sure. Like they're they're not going out and finding that stuff, and that just creates a totally different system. Plus, the profitability of a television channel is in a totally different category than the profitability of uh, old school newspaper or in that type of system. You know what I mean? Like sure. we're talking about two different fields of what you're going to go through to make sure you have a profit margin. Right, and then now, uh, holy internet shows that are just on YouTube. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's in. It's it's kind of the ele- you know the evolution. You had the initial the newspaper style, then you had these television channels that are all for profit point blank like you know that's what they're there for is to like make money for their shareholders. But now you have this like renegade of all these small podcasts coming up who come from nothing and for the most part profit isn't their main goal. So down the line, if they become way more profitable, that might start steering them in a different direction. But at, as it stands right now, it's not like these people are making hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, 
I mean, I listen to Pod Save America every 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 episode it comes out. I listen to it at work, like the second it comes out, you know. And they're not making like they're making enough money to like have a nice office. They have a bunch of podcasts going. Like they're doing really well as a company, but like they're not in the same field. And truth for reporting is why they're there. They they came up. <sighs> under uh, they came out specifically to be pundits that are getting it right versus letting just cnn msnbc run the show so there's still capital in getting it right right correct and i mean in a capitalist system what are you going to do to remember i mean (laughs) you know what i mean like there's nothing you can really do about that i mean i'm as much of a socialist as you can get and I own a company and we have to maintain a profit margin in order for us to not all go homeless. Well, honestly, know? I call myself a capitalist socialist because I think <laughs> what's a- what's happened is with yeah. money devolving to fewer and fewer hands, mm-hmm. um, the opportunities for entrepreneurs to bring their good idea to market and bring their hard work to market and benefit from mm-hmm. it actually shrinks. Oh, 100%. And- and well, so, and stage w- capitalism. when you redistribute some of that wealth mm-hmm. downward, it it opens up opportunities in the for market. people. And but I mean, that's just also. I mean, that's a great idea, and I'm 100 percent down for it. And I'm like, let's do what we can while we can. And I'm not disagreeing with that. But at the end of the day, I'm a supply side economics guy, and I don't think that we need, you know, I don't think that we need individual, you know people to come up with brilliant ideas to bring to the market as much as we can all figure out as a collective as well but i mean you know it's it takes time to develop something like that it's not like we're going to be a socialist nation tomorrow so in the meantime like you know personal innovation to bring to market is a acceptable thing to do and i do think we need to invest in ways for more people to not be trapped in a nine-to-five job wanting to blow their brains out and actually do something that they find worthwhile. Have you uh, looked at uh, MMT at all? No. Um, Well, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a economic theory that's being uh, touted in some socialist circles uh, where, um, and the idea is that the government can print, enough money to fund health care and infrastructure mm-hmm. and oh do what they're supposed to do okay right yeah. exactly Got can ju- but yeah. can fund it by yeah. just printing the money right fiat currency up out of nothing right. basically and there's some uh some run the deficit run Correct. the deficit yeah yes and that's it, a great idea yeah like and, well, so a lot of people are on the right, especially conservatives, are going. You can't do that. Can't it's do that. inflation. And, and here's and here's here's where they get it wrong. Okay, you can have you can hemorrhage your deficit. You can do that. You can hemorrhage your deficit if you're putting it into tangible things that in a 5, 10, 20 year span is going to recirculate and heavily stimulate the market. You put it into healthcare. Point. And you, the, the average person 
that makes $50,000 a year incurs over $5,000 in out-of-pocket expenses for medical between what gets taken out of their paycheck, between co-pays, between prescriptions, between any emergency services, $5,000. The employer incurs on average $13,000. You're talking about $18,000 a year that vanishes into a $450 tax increase on your yearly taxes for somebody that makes $50,000 a year. And I mean, so the company itself is going to save 13000 Well, their taxes might go up a little bit, but the individual is also going to save, what, $4,500 a year? That is a massive amount of money to that stimulate the economy. he can go out and then spend on he whatever. Spend. Food, food, alcohol, food. Alcohol, cars, food, alcohol. movies. Well, what I stupidity. like is food and alcohol. But yeah, sure. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> now, so here's the difference. I think with the deficit spending for say mm-hmm. war, right? Which you, you're, you're seems empl- to have you, a problem. You employ with. a few soldiers. You right. you 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 buy some stuff from from uh, defense contractors. Raytheon from you know. right, right. <laughs> but it's kind of narrow, and it mm-hmm. doesn't translate into money in people's pockets like if you save them money on well, their health care or if you does, put them to work but on, it's on a different uh, way. Well, mm. right, but I, I think the the level uh for instance, um the level of uh um of employment mm-hmm. between building infrastructure and mm-hmm. research and going to space and like all solar that, it's panels. quite Just a bit more so you get more for your fiat so currency yeah. By doing that mm-hmm. than by going to war. Correct. And that's what people just fundamentally don't understand. And I mean, deficit hawks traditionally, especially in the Senate, they're some of the oldest senators traditionally. And they run off of like, I mean, these guys just recite Adam Smith in their sleep. You know what I mean? Like, it's such yeah. an old school, a, such an old school way of thinking about it. You know that book came out in 1776. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. <laughs> and the industrial revolution hadn't even happened yet. I know. Plus, uh, so he's yeah he's talking about the invisible hand of the marketplace, mm-hmm. but he's also saying, and and people seem to forget this part of Adam Smith. I've read Wealth of Nations, and he seems to forget. Uh, they seem to forget that he actually said that um, money does need to be regulated mm-hmm. or it just it devolves into too few so hands. take that, you libertarians. <laughs> right. I don't want to hear no more of it, okay? Right. We're regulating the markets. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so, all right, well, that's it. Yeah, uh, Ocasio-Cortez is one who has been talking about MMT. Phenomenal. She's phenomenal. I know. I I worship her. She, the way she's handled her responsibility on the uh, committee she's on, what is it, the, the House Committee, the Oversight Committee in the yes. House? Man, when it's her five minutes- To talk and ask questions? Best five. She- she does it so right. She doesn't have a general announcement of who she is or like a little brief like I mean what was her grades like in school? She's a <laughs> she's a scholar. She's she, a, she she's does her brilliant. homework. She's brilliant. Yeah. And it's like the way that the House and Senate committees function in this manner where it's like on the oversight committees where it's like you have all these people on this oversight committee and 
it, you get each person gets five minutes and you switch back and forth between a Republican goes for five minutes and then a Democrat goes for five minutes and a Republican goes for It's such an atrocious way to hold basically what's like a trial of this person. And so many politicians do it wrong. Oh, they, sure. they just uh, like, first off, the Democrats need to get their stuff straight real bad before they walk into those because I feel like all of them are asking the same questions over and over and over again because they don't have a, an agenda I put together of how to grill a person. bright enough. No, um, so Kamala cool. Harris, excellent interrogator. She is very good, but that's because she's a cop. That's so, right. So yeah. She, <laughs> she, well, yeah, she was top cop in California. Exactly. Yeah. Top cop in what, Oakland also? Well, it's attorney she, general. She, yeah. 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 Well, she was attorney general. She, she was a DA. Before that, though. Correct. You're right. Correct. She's been a top cop all over. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, I don't know what, you know, the experience of, of somebody, including Democrats, mm-hmm. um, they're just kind of mealy mouthed and nambly pambly <laughs> and seeming not knowing they're afraid to hurt the feeling. I don't know what it well, is. And, Pusillanimous. Uh, it's because the bar is so much higher on the left than it is on the right. You know, the what is acceptable and what needs to be done is so much higher on the left versus the right. And you well, have what do you a mean lot by of, higher? So you have a lot of politicians that aren't from California, that aren't from New York, that are Democrats in the House and the Senate. And they're sweating bullets every time something major comes up because their reelection campaigns are infinitely harder than the campaigns we deal with out here. I mean, I'm born and raised New York, and now I've lived in California for three and a half years. You've worked in some campaigns, haven't you? I've worked on campaigns. And, you know, nobody's going to get upset with a Republican for lying, cheating, and stealing their way into elected office. But if a Democrat does something wrong, it's game over for them and they got to be a lot more careful the re- the right side of the aisle is a lot more forgiving and a lot of that comes down to or you know no i i, I don't even think they're forgiving mm-hmm. they want their right. their politician to exactly. be mean and it, d- venal I mean, and it comes down to the different the fun, there's some fundamental differences in the democratic party versus the republican party in, in 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 mindset yeah the republican party is like a well organized basketball team they're all playing the same game they all have the same they they know the positions that they're supposed to be on they say the same rhetoric they're really well organized machine well it seems like they're getting their marching orders from a very few people right but i mean that's how it's always been with them you know they've always been well organized. they're a minority party it has to be right the Democrats are a big tent party, and you hear people say this all the time, but it's true. The, the Democrats are not a team. They are a coalition, you know? Right. And when you're a part of a coalition and you're not directly aligned with your party in every way, you're going to be worried if you're a senator from, like, you know, New Mexico or Colorado that's a swing state and people aren't as progressive as you know somebody's voters in california and new york and all of a sudden your entire party saying impeach trump you could lose your seat 
And that's a worry for people. Now, is it a substan like is that worry substantiated? Probably not, because we see progressives destroying it in places like Texas with a better all work who has in his presidential campaign has seemed to become much less progressive than he was in his Senate. Well, he had race. a voting record too that wasn't yeah, all that. That was pro- not good. Yeah, he he talked progressive. Re- I gotta talk real good. Um but you know But he see know. particularly when he was talking about uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick. Exactly. Colin he, Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick, he, yeah. he gave a, a really nice speech. He sounded like a decent person. Well, and that, I mean, that's what made him better O'Rourke. He was nothing before that video. Yeah. That video sparked his entire thing. And that's my point is that he is, he was wild. He's left. Like, his voting record doesn't show that. But that campaign, he gave the image of left. Like, he gave the image that he was down for Medicare for all. He wanted things like the Green New Deal. Like, he was I he suspect was he's it. more left than he was th- a year ago. You know, I think so, too. But, you know, like, he's he was left. And to, what, lose within three points to Ted Cruz in Texas shows you that the, the people, like, as much as... You know, the you can be worried about your voting record and making sure you don't tick off your base and lose the reelection. You gotta kind of like put yourself out there and just go for it. Well, and- here's here's a statistic that I mm-hmm. I think is going to affect demographics. And between 2016 mm-hmm. and 2020, 40 million Americans over the age of uh, 60 will die. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the, during the same period, no. 16 million Americans will turn 18. Mm-hmm. So. That's significant it's numbers. A huge shift in the voting box, especially when you know people. What people under thirty five are like over thirty or forty percent for Bernie, like, right? Oh, wildly disproportionate amount. Which is funny because that dude's the oldest guy in the race, and he attracts the youngest part of the voting block. Well, and that's that's funny because there's a lot of people in uh, well on the left that. Don't want old white guys. Old, no old white guys. Well, there's Bernie, Bernie. But then Bernie's like, let's do it. Like, so it doesn't matter, though, because mm-hmm. he's got the right policy. So exactly. it doesn't matter he's an old white guy. And that's where the party just structurally fails time and time and time and time again. It's because it's a party that is not a party. It is a coalition of people that are kind of, you know, band-aiding their issues together, trying to get something going, and it's just not going to keep working. And the, the what we have to do is have a unifying message that all of the people that are elected officials in this party can get behind. And does that mean maybe voting out some older members of Congress that have been there for probably way too long and get some more people that have the right agenda in there? Yes, it does. Let's vote out people like uh, Susan Davis here in San Diego, who is completely funded by Raytheon. Let's vote out people like Nancy Pelosi, who's just way old money, who's wildly rich. And I get that she's done great work right now, but she'll never be down with the AOC message, no matter what you do. That's apparent. her, Her time has come. She needs to pass the torch. Oh my God! Why am I blanking on her name? Who's our Who's our Who's our senator? That's not Kamala Harris. Our old, old, old senator, Diane Feinstein. Diane yeah. Cannot believe I forgot her name. That she is going to be ninety-two. Ninety-two at the end of this term. Ninety-two, which I wouldn't care about 
except for her policies. No, that's not even true. Because as far as I'm concerned, I would love to see Bernie Sanders not run again if he loses, not run for a Senate again, because he's done enough foundational work to let younger people come up in the party. And I mean, listen, I'll get a little Mao Zedong on here. You know, the, the revolution belongs to the youth. And as much as we want to believe that, like, I think Bernie Sanders will be a a great president if he becomes president but I don't think that this is something we should let happen again I think we need to do everything we can to increase the amount of people that are younger to get politically active to run at a younger age to just get involved at a younger age I mean you have to be 25 to run for the house of representatives that's it so and I think you're basically correct because look at um Look at what's happening with people like David Hogg, Emma Goldman, mm-hmm. um, or is it Goldberg? I think it's Goldman. Goldman. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, stunning uh, orators, and mm-hmm. their 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 uh, positions are are left, ultra yeah. left, yeah. and and uh, and they're they're really dedicated, brilliant, and uh, and they're tw- like twenty. Yeah. It, like twenty, like twenty nine collectively, you know, like right? <laughs> young, young, like, and so I and I so I I think um, I think what's happened is a lot of young people have uh, come up and um, and have watched what we have done mm-hmm. with the government, with the world, mm-hmm. with global warming. With uh, well, I mean, we could talk about gun control. I mean, you know, would you watched how rich people have put their thumb on the scales mm-hmm. and and then just left everybody else hanging? You know, haven't done anything for people. Have taken more and more money out of out of their pockets and out of their uh, bank accounts. And well, there's a, obviously a certain amount of that that's in their benefit to have a desperate workforce right. Right. that will work for peanuts, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so it, definitely to their advantage. Right. I, I think their short-term advantage. I think if they only knew it, um, if you had a a consumer base that has a few more bucks than they do, they'd get they'd get it by the end of the day. Well, you think that, right? But I mean. Okay, so like hypothetically, it should only be like a short term victory. But I mean, it's been a long term victory for the last hundred years. You know what I mean? Like this has been happening over and over and over and over again since I mean, look at the New Deal, right? It was this magical piece of legislation. Magical. It fixed so many things. Yeah. For like 20 years. For like 20 years. Into, then, well into the 50s. And then all of a sudden you're getting closer and closer to, I mean, like the wealth disparity starts growing again. You know, the CEOs are starting to make way more money again than the employees by drastic numbers. And then you get into Nixon, you get into Reagan and they break the marginal tax on wealthy people. You know, I mean, people got to remember like in the forties, the tax rate was like 70%. 
1950, easy. it was 94 percent. You know? And then in 1953, they knocked it down to 19, uh, 91 percent. Mm-hmm. And uh, then in 1960, they started whittling it down exactly regularly. You know, and this is something that I get in a, I get in a fight with people all the time about this. There, you're not going to be able to legislate your way out of everything. You're not. Legislation is a great short-term fix for everything. But in the long run, unless you have true structural change to the way your political system works, to the way the ideology of your nation works, legislating your way out of things is only ever going to get reversed. Okay, you brought up the New Deal. Mm -hmm. And so Roosevelt comes into office, 1933, the United States, well, the world really, but the United States especially, had been in four years of worsening economic conditions. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the economy was in free fall right. from from uh, October 1929 until January 33 when when Roosevelt takes over. So he's he's coming into a uh, office with a country in crisis. The only person that even come close to that is Obama going into office. Yeah, you know, uh, right, and you know, and even that um, is not even close. Not to the even scale. close. Well, we had twenty five percent of the population unemployed. Mm-hmm. Some demographics up to seventy five percent. We had uh, increasing bank failures, uh, runs on banks. We had increasing business failures. We've had home foreclosures. You didn't farm- have soup kitchens. Something like what fifteen percent of the population would have died. Would have died. Yeah, just done. Would have died. And so uh, what Hoover did was started, uh, well, he fostered the, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's the uh, um, Refinance Act. That's not all of it. But anyway, the idea was to loan money to banks, basically, so that they would then loan out um, that cash. Well, they didn't loan much to those banks. It wasn't used that much. And um, actually, Roosevelt, when he came in, the act was still there, and he was able to use that to get some leverage with mm-hmm. with some of these banks and companies uh, to to get some of his programs. But what I'm saying is, my point is, if the situation was not that dire, would he have been able to do the New Deal? I'm, I'm kind of afraid not. Right. Okay. They fought him tooth but, and nail all the way through the Depression, too. Yeah, well... Did they? Yeah, or, they did. I mean... Now, okay, so with his personality, he was able to win concessions from business. He was able to win concessions from labor um, that who... There's I, a lot, but there's a lot of, like, fringe reporting from that time that also says he was kind of in bed with big money at that point in time. And a lot... And if big money was smart, which we know they tend to be generally somewhat smart... They would have understood that maybe not all of big money, but enough of big money knew they need to make these concessions now or else the country is going to go socialist. You know, like it was so evident that they were ripe for a revolution. And it's like, what do you do? Do you make a vast amount of concessions right now to keep a capitalist nation afloat for what is it? 2019 now, you know? Or, well, that's part of what he did. I mean, he was able to convince them of that. Right. But it's like how much of it was – my question is like 
okay, like a lot of it was convincing, but some of it was like them willing to sacrifice their short-term profits for long-term gains. And that's a part of my point where it's like you can't legislate your way out of everything forever. And eventually, like, they know when people are fighting for $15 an hour that they should put up a fight for a while but make the concession eventually. You think they know that? I do. I hope so. Disney just folded again. Okay, and then a few of them have, yeah. Right, you know, and they know because if they don't, first off, people aren't going to be able to spend money there in general, and it's going to hurt their reputation. So they make the concession now because sooner than later, inflation's going to catch up, and $15 an hour isn't going to do tangibly more than 11 did 20 years ago. You know what I mean? That's like, correct. So it's not that big of a fight. They just give the appearance of a fight because if they look like they cave quick, more people would do it. And go for more. Exactly. Yeah. You know? I mean, especially in the age where unions are so gutted, companies are worried about mass scale like strikes because they haven't had to think about it in a long time because they gutted the union so horribly. You know, so I mean, when was the last time? When was the last time we saw this? Is we have our fourth state of teachers going on strike this week? I believe mm. in what a year and a half that hasn't happened ever. You know, I, and I think we're going to see more. And we are, but that's my point: is that companies haven't had to prepare for stuff like this in such a long time, so they're going to put up a fight, of course. And of course, the teachers aren't companies you know they're fighting with their state legislators but you know they're going to put up a fight for a good amount of time but they're going to fold because they know it's not going to matter in 10 years right however (laughs) what's going to be happening in 10 years if it's if it's situation normal if it's and i'm talking about normal as of now Mm -hmm. um that's not going to be good enough people are energized right now Mm -hmm. they've been Educated by Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders made the, the world safe for the U.S. safe for socialism. Uh, that was an unheard of word in 2015. Mm-hmm. You could not say that word and expect to have any anybody behind you. Yeah. Well, that well, changed. DSA memberships have gone up like 5,000 percent. Really? A crazy I, I'm not amount. surprised to hear that. A cra- obviously, a crazy amount. So when they put Trump on the on the time cover of Time magazine as the man of the year in 2016, I thought it should have been Bernie. He his 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 revolution was more significant than than Trump's. Right. And uh, and I think I think you're right. He's definitely laid the groundwork. He's done. Um. He's done the good work. However, I trust him more than any other. He, he's been he's been he's been on the same program for forty years. 40 years, yeah. And all these other Democrats that are coming along and saying oh, universal health this is new for them. Oh yeah. So okay, are you just jumping on the bandwagon for you know for political gain, or are you really you know? Well, they're jumping on the bandwagon for political gain. And also because 
don't forget that this election cycle, superdelegates only come into play if nobody clinches the nomination through X amount thankfully, of regular delegates. Thankfully and for that. Now, superdelegates have been reduced by 60%, but I find it very suspicious that the first election cycle, when Bernie's the front runner going into it, you have a field of 21 candidates all of a sudden, and if nobody clinches the nomination, which will be hard to do with right. 21 candidates, and you know, realistically, that's going to whittle down into three, four, or five, but that's still a wide scope of people to not be able to clinch the nomination and have superdelegates come into play and once again rob somebody. But my my point is, you know, I'm down with universal health care. I think it's a great idea. I'm down with tuition and debt-free colleges. I think it's a great idea. I want those things yesterday. I think they're so important for human rights, for just basic Most needs Most Western people. nations have had them for much longer than yesterday. Much longer, right? But what are we going to do if we don't change the system that these things are in and we have a situation like the UK where you mean their political national, system? Yeah, where yeah. their national health system has been completely gutted. I mean, that's why Brexit passed was because it's true. The NHS has been gutted because they're still in a capitalist system and they're going to keep and like we can do all these great legislative things, but it's going to be real hard to do all these keep do all these great legislative things, levy the taxes up and then keep them up. Sure. Forever. That's hard to do. And sooner than later, all of these things are going to get gutted once they're in play. And that's a problem. Well, I think there's going to be a certain amount of um, practicality in, involved in finding the level of taxes that actually works. But it's more than that. It's like, how do you change the voting system in America to make sure that the population actually gets a fair Well, shake? We, we know the answer to that one. One, gerrymandering. Two, electoral college. Those but are the. But it's more than that. How do you have a state like Nebraska that has what like i think like 700,000 people in it right and they get two senator Senators, votes yeah. and they get one house rep we're here in San Diego the 53rd district has 850,000 people yeah, in it yeah that needs that's to change that's completely disproportional that needs not to, to change not to mention after the 2020 census all projection all projections say California is going to lose a house seat we're going to lose a house seat it's going to go to Texas now, luckily in Texas, it's probably going to go directly into Austin, but still, sure. that's a problem. Like, why aren't we in a parliamentary system? Well, right. Um, I uh, Personally, I think we should get rid of voting districts. Just get rid of them. Base it on existing counties right. and, and base it on population. So a parliamentary system. Basically. Yeah. No, (laughs) and that makes it safer for more parties to come up, you know, like to have a part. I mean, to have a parliamentary system changes everything. You you don't have to worry about like spoiler votes because it's going to be all based off of. I mean, the prime minister is then based off of whatever party holds the most seats in the parliament. You know what I mean? Well, I don't really have a problem with the office of the presidency, although uh, at the Constitutional Convention, that was Patrick Henry's reason that he voted against the Constitution. Was the Jefferson was really 
that was his big problem with the Constitution, although he he was for it. But he had his biggest reservations with the office of the presidency. He, he called it a bad addition of a Polish presidency uh, or Polish king, which meant a weak king. Yeah. 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 Uh, so and if if Washington hadn't hadn't been the de facto choice. The presidency probably would have not have had that much power. Certainly would have not have been commander in chief. Jesus. Uh, So, right. um, One thing I'd like to see is a runoff election like they have in France. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. I would love that. The field is open for the first one. And then the top two vote getters get to run it off. At least give me ranked choice voting. At yeah. least give me. At least you don't have to worry voting. about. Then you don't have to worry about. You know, again, spoilers. Voting for the lesser gone, of two evils. Gone. You know, and there's just so many fundamental flaws. I could talk about this for hours. Like, it's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, I well, electoral college ridiculous. Absolutely, it never worked the way they envisioned, and it was basically uh, Madison wanted popular vote for the presidency mm-hmm. um but the southern states because some such a big part of their population were slaves and couldn't vote they were worried that the northern states would get to pick the president all the mm-hmm. time so it was on Shockingly account of st- enough the racist messed it up again right <laughs> i i'm not completely certain that we shouldn't have let him go in, in, in 1860 or that we shouldn't have let him go. Although in, in, uh, people in, are like, how are there so many Confederates? It's like, cause we let them live. <laughs> what do you, what, what do you mean? What do you? <laughs> yeah. I, we, uh, the, the, at the constitutional convention, they almost outlawed slavery. One vote. It was one, one vote, vote away. One vote away. That is. However, if they had gotten that vote, the South would have not, they would have walked, which. Let them walk. So the. <laughs> probably the, not let them walk. The, <laughs> the, the, time, the colonies at the walk. time, really, that would have been tough. That it's would really have been tough. It's really easy for me to sit here and yell, let them walk. Between, even Spain would have been a problem. Um, yeah. If, but, and they were a paper tiger, but <laughs> France definitely would have been a problem and England would have continued to be a problem. Correct, correct. I mean, we fought another war with them later, you know, uh, in 1812. So, uh, Which nobody wants to talk so we, about that invasion. And that's kind of why, okay, we got to stick together kind of thing. Right. But in 1860, let them go. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, a lot, what? There's a lot of somebody, yelling happening right? here, people. We might be, you might be seeing something unravel on air right now. <laughs> there's a problem. Again, a second time. That's what I just heard <laughs> for all the updates for you guys. Anyways. Yeah, what is that all at? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> We don't have to worry about it. We don't it. have to worry about it. <laughs> you don't worry about it. We won't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, locally then, um, what uh, what's going on locally in in local elections? There's a lot of big stuff that people need to pay attention to right now. We're going to have a big mayor's race this election cycle. I would expect so. The two Democrats that have announced are what Barbara Bree and Todd Gloria. Mm-hmm. Barbara Bree, city councilwoman, as, it's, as it stands. Uh, and Todd Gloria just recently got repositioned as the majority whip 
in the assembly. Uh huh. So these are two really big heavy hitters. They're they're great ish politicians. Um, you know, it's gonna be a really really important race this time around, especially with a lot of the change happening in San Diego with gentrification, with a lot of big money flowing in. I believe Jewel, the company Jewel, might be moving their headquarters down here. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of new stuff coming to San Diego, and we need a strong leader that's going to be here to protect the people. Uh, so this election, more so than others, I say it's time to turn out. Luckily, it's a presidential cycle. So maybe they will. So hopefully we'll see a big turnout. And, you know, people need to focus on down-ballot races this election cycle more so than ever. And it's something that a lot of people have a hard time doing. A lot of people don't look into who's going to be on their school board (laughs) you know people don't look into judges races and we need they're important we need to you know and i'll and i say this all the time you know if you like somebody running for local office call them up and tell them to hire canvassers Mm -hmm. because we need people going door to door to every door that's how ocasio cortez got it you know and i'll tell you right now the biggest problem with the San Diego scene is that all of these people have DC consultants that tell them to just send mail, 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 mail. Okay. I do cost allocations for my company. I figure out how much it's going to cost for me to send a canvasser door to door. I can tell you right now, cheapest, uh, you know, for like a small race, like if you want to hit 40, 60, 80,000 doors, you can get a canvasser to go door to door and it's going to break down to, you know, somewhere between 250 and 450 a knock. Okay. And I promise you, the person you like that's running for office is spending one whole dollar on one piece of mail coming to your house. Oh, crazy. And they're yeah. going to send 12 of them. In an election cycle. Yeah, that's, I don't know. I it's mean, ridiculous. I guess it's necessary, right? No, it's not. It's all. not necessary. I'll tell you right now. Here's the. F- Why do they do it then? Because, because here's the problem. Most consultants get a piece of the action on the production side of the, of the mail. <laughs> I'm not even joking. It is the most frustrating thing. I have ever experienced money. We're again. in the middle of negotiating somewhere between eight and 10 contracts right now with political campaigns to, they're going to hire us to send door canvassers out for them. And they're, and we talked to consultants. We probably talked to six different consultants that said the same thing, right? No canvassing super, super important. You need to have canvassers go door to door, but like mail. And it's like, what do you mean mail? Right. Here's the facts. People, if a canvasser knocks on your door and you talk to them, you are 23% more likely to vote. If you vote, anybody else in your house that is registered to vote is 60% more likely to vote. Those are important statistics. Right, but nobody cares because the consultants aren't getting a piece of the action on the canvassers. And that's a problem. And However... Results. You'd think that we live in a result-based world, but <laughs> somehow that has slipped through our fingers. Well, 
So are there any uh, any local uh, politicians with good progressive bona fides? I would say off the bat, the biggest one is Todd Coria. Yeah. He is he has a fabulous voting record. Um, I got a little upset because he didn't come out in favor of Prop Ten from last which was election, what? which was the uh, was was uh, rent control. Oh yeah, which was it wasn't enacting rent control; it was reversing the laws that got put place in the '80s, so that way local municipalities could actually enact rent control if they choose, because right now it's illegal. It failed in National ridiculous. City, even in National City, which. It failed while, okay, here's my thing. It failed while, what, 12, which means California can't sell meat that does it, that the animals don't have like X amount of space <laughs> passed. So California people has decided that animals deserve more luxurious homes than people, which is crazy to me. But anyways- Todd Glory didn't come out totally in. He didn't come out in favor of it. Well, you can didn't own go cattle, but you it. can't own people. So. I know it's ridiculous. So, you know, that's really my only little tiff I've had with him. Uh-huh. Other than that, he's done some fantastic work. There's a couple really important bills uh, in regards to uh, police brutality that are working its way through the state assembly as we speak and he's the majority whip and you know watch out for that let's see what he can do to get that through yeah you're the majority whip for a reason let's see what you can do you know um but yeah well i'll definitely be looking so well we're coming down to the last couple of minutes here uh that we've got to to uh to yammer um are there any points that you would particularly like to make or are we covering here in this conversation I don't know. we've covered a lot i'd say everybody before you first off change your registration to vote by mail everybody ah. okay but don't don't poll vote your likelihood of voting is dramatically less get the ballot in the mail it comes four weeks before you have to turn it in you can sit at home and google everything on there spend two hours on your ballot it is important Right. That is important. And then if you're lazy and you don't mail it, you can still drive it to the poll day of. Right. You know? So everybody, please vote by mail. Please. And remember, you can look up what we call a slate, which means the Democrats and the Republicans and a lot of nonprofits put out a slate of all of the things they want you to vote in favor of. Right. It will be every single prop on the ballot. It will tell you exactly how they want you to vote, and you can look at multiple. There's a lot of websites. Check out Vote Save America next election cycle. It will go through everything on your California ballot, and it will give you highlights of both positions. Great stuff. Yeah, great. Well, all right. Thank you, Mac. Thank you. For coming down here. Uh, we might have to do this again sometime. I would love to. All right. Particularly maybe once uh, once things start heating once up. Once things start heating up, I would definitely love to get back in here and give you guys some updates. And yeah. I can't I, legally talk about the people that we're working with right now because uh, it's not announced. But once things start heating up, I'll have a lot more information for everybody. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. We'll definitely have you back. Thanks again. Uh, let's see. Um all right, well, I've got some uh, Sambas uh, 
to get us into our our next uh, bit of uh, business here. So uh, we're going to do that. And once again, thank you, Mac Lawrence. Thank you.